Hi, everyone. I'm Francesca Maxime. Thank you so much for joining us uh, for this edition of the Rerooted podcast here on Ron Dasta's Be Here Now Network, where we really try to sort of reroute back into our own wholeness, our own collective wisdom, um, sort of all the things that that are already there that we sometimes forget about, like Mother Earth. And you can see I have this beautiful tree behind me um, that was painted by my friend Claudia Cotruzza French. And it's just to sort of indicate that we're, you know, we're root, we're, we're, we're sort of uh, the, the, the stock, we're the branches, the fruit, and what seeds are we planning going forward? And also what seeds have we sort of inherited? And along those lines, um, to do a deeper dive into that, <clears throat> today's guest I'm thrilled to have as I'm sitting on Nipmuc territory here in Massachusetts, uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Richard Schwartz, Dick Schwartz, uh, the creator of the internal family systems model, and um, have interviewed Dick uh, in the past, but really love how the internal family systems model is evolving to include uh, cultural and collective trauma and legacy burdens. So welcome, Dick. Thank you so much for joining me today here on Rebooted. Thank you, Francesca. Always great to talk to you. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, so I guess for, uh, without getting into a whole explanation of uh, internal family systems work, um, I'll just maybe summarize to say that you have a, a, a model that emphasizes what you call self-energy with a capital S, which is sort of your, your highest embodied, connected, wide presencing, um, even spiritual perhaps self. Um, that is the wisdom body, the, the, the grander cosmic, you know, sort of body. This is my language, not your language. But it's your, your essential self, your deepest mm -hmm. self, the one who knows, the one who is responsive appropriately and discerning and not reactive, the mm -hmm. one who cares, and that who is compassionate to all the parts of us that mm -hmm. can get activated, the, the places in us that are um, maybe a little wounded and need a little uh, tenderness, which include complex developmental, uh, family of origin, trauma issues that could be about abuse or neglect or those kinds of things. It could be about um, fears we've developed throughout our lives through situational, um, you know, kind of issues that have to do with an accident or a, a thing like we're experiencing now, this sort of collective trauma around the pandemic, um, or any number of things, but that these parts um, are always sort of, mm, they're getting a little bit activated and then maybe taking over the wheels mm -hmm. <laughs> and then driving the bus. And we're just mm -hmm. like, oh my God, I went off on this direction and I yelled at my wife or my husband or my boss or my mm -hmm. kid or my whatever it is, or I shut down and I ran away or whatever it is. And your model is so beautiful because it kind of leans in to say, oh, let me understand the whole person of this part, how it came into be, what it's trying to do, why it's showing up. And let me do that from the place of my self energy and my centeredness so that I'm in relationship with and to all these parts and that I develop the calm, the compassion, the care. And that as I do that work inside, then perhaps I can show up with more understanding. They can be unburdened, as you say, or healed in some way. And then I can move into the larger parts of the world and expand my view of how I can bring into that self-energy while holding the compassion of my triggered sometimes parts that are healing um, and then bring in that more of that healing to the larger, uh, the larger world and community that I'm in. Is that kind of sort of? That's very impressive. Yeah. That's <laughs> That's right on, yeah. Um, 
the only thing I might add is just uh, that these parts are little sacred beings, basically, for me. And, um, you know, other systems call them less personal things like schemas and uh, complexes and so on. But uh, I'm a kind of crusader for their personhood and also that there aren't any bad ones, that <clears throat> the parts of us that have been demonized in our culture carry burdens along the lines of what you're talking about in terms of extreme beliefs and emotions that came from traumas, but the burdens aren't the part. And that's a big mistake that many, many systems have made to assume that the burden is the part. Yeah. So the rage isn't a bundle of rage. It's a part that tried to protect you and stood up to your abuser and as a result took on the abuser's energy to protect you from the abuser and now carries all this rage. So, but that's not the nature of the part at all. So just uh, very much along the lines of what you're saying. And uh, nice description of self. Self can be an internal and an external leader. And I'm also very much into the parallels in terms of long lines of what you were saying, how you relate to these parts will play out in terms of how you relate to people who resemble those parts. So if you can have compassion for your rage, then when somebody is raging, your protectors aren't going to take over. You're going to see the pain that's driving that person and have compassion for them, so on and so on. Or yeah. if, if, if you can be with your, what I call exiles, these vulnerable, hurting parts that feel worthless, if you can be with them in a loving way, then when somebody is in their exiles, you can be that way uh, with them too. So, uh, so along the lines of the theme of this, that's, that's the bigger picture. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think you just hit the, hit the nail on the head with that. Um, thank you, because the, what I've been bumping into and um, trying to do some of the work that um, is addressing collective structural trauma, um, in particular around issues of um, dominance, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, racism. You, you say the four uh, cultural burdens, racism, patriarchy, materialism, and individualism, and I'll let you unpack those. Um, but that, that these are all models of, in the Buddhist language, of the mindfulness language, we would call greed or craving or never enough, meaning I can never be on top of the heap of any of these things. I'm striving that the root of my dis-ease, if you will, um, is, is coming from a place of trying to be something that's achieving, which in your words are all there because they're beautiful little sacred beings that are trying to protect us and make sure that, you know, we're okay. So, you know, in my family of origin, if I'm getting an A and not a C or a B, then maybe I'm safer than if I'm getting, you know, that kind of thing, whatever it is, that there's this striving piece that can, um, can get in the way. So along those lines, um, if you would, please introduce for folks the way in which the IFS model takes those uh, cultural uh, collective burdens. burdens. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, so the idea is that uh, we have all these parts and before they're burdened, they're wonderful. Then they become burdened. And 
some of the burdening comes from direct experience of traumas. So we call those personal burdens. And all of those experiences go right to the heart of these parts and, and drive the way they operate thereafter, like a virus, pardon the expression these days. Yeah. And then we also take in, often unconsciously, what are called legacy burdens. And these come into us either through our direct lineage and maybe our beliefs and emotions that have come down the generations uh, from some event that happened, some kind of a famine or some kind of a war event that happened in your family lineage decades or centuries ago and just travel on down and you, you take in some of that. But also we carry burdens from our ethnic groups or from the culture in which we live. And as you say, I identify those four as the primary drivers of the United States. And uh, it, I wrote a second edition of my original book, and in it I have a chapter on all of this, uh, where I took the United States and tried to look at it as an, as an individual, as a trauma survivor. And it has its own exiles, more than ever in its history now, because the, the disparity in income is greater than it's ever been. So in addition to racism and all the other reasons that we tend to exile people in our country, there's now this huge gap in, in income. And whenever any system of any level has a lot of exiles who are hurting and raw, then you're gonna have a lot of very extreme protective parts as we do in our government now. And protectors are gonna polarize with each other as they have. And but to get to the base of all that, a lot of it is just driven by these, these four uh, cultural legacy burdens. And one of the mistakes that people make individually and also in countries and internationally is to go to war against those burdens. So for example, while the anti-racism movement, for example, has done a lot of good in terms of raising people's consciousness uh, and uh, bringing these issues to the surface. It's also taught individuals, particularly white people, to be very, very ashamed of their racist part. And there's nobody in our culture who doesn't have, who didn't absorb some of that white supremacy belief system. And so we all have that attached to some part of us. And when you are so ashamed of that part that you wind up locking it away and pretending you don't have it, then it becomes implicit racism. And it has this underground effect on your thoughts and your ac actions, uh, which make it even more sinister in a way because you're not even aware of how you're doing things. So, my approach is to go to, I would encourage you to go to your racist part and actually uh, get all the parts that hate it to separate, parts that fear it to separate, to the point where you can be in self in the way that we describe and, and be at least curious. Curiosity is one of the eight C's of self-leadership. Uh, 
So you start there. You just let me see what this is about. And you start to talk to that part about the racist, racist burden it carries and where it got it. And what's it afraid would happen if it didn't carry this for you? And at some point, it decides, often spontaneously, that it doesn't want to carry this anymore. And then you help shift, just ship it out of your system. And we have a process we call unburdening for doing that, for actually sending these burdens out of the system, at which point the part will transform and uh, become who it was originally des designed to be. And it's my belief, and I've done this in a, a small scale, but it's my belief that it's possible to unburden large groups of people uh, simultaneously. And I'm, so, I'm, I'm moving in that direction. You know, I've done it with, with maybe groups of 40, different retreats and so on, and had everybody go in and find their racist parts or their individualistic parts or their materialistic parts or their, um, what was the other one? Well, I guess it would be sexist or patriarchal or misogynistic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, you know, find out from a place of initially curiosity and then ultimately compassion. And finding out about the part that carries it and what the afraid would happen if you gave it up. And then usually there's a way to negotiate giving it up. Hmm. So it's a very different approach than the anti-this and the anti-that you know, uh, approach. And, and that plays out also externally. Right, right, right. Which, which I so love and is aligned with sort of my mindfulness trainings and, and my, you know, in the sense of, you know, <laughs> and I mean, we've heard it said again and again, you know, um, you can't fight fire with fire or, you know, only love can heal hate or something along those lines. And, um, leading into this whole idea of care, curiosity, like first there's the acknowledgement, like, hey, <laughs> this is the soup we're in. We have to like reckon with that. Mm -hmm. This, you know, materialism, individualism. Yeah, um, so, so that would be the C word clarity. So you, you, you have, there's no need to deny the fact that these exist. <clears throat> and you can have clarity to see what they're, you know, where they come from and so on. Uh, and then another C word is courage. Then you have the courage to act, to, to do something about it. Uh, but you do it from those C words too. So that even when you're confronting somebody, which isn't one of those C words, you're doing it from compassion rather than from the parts of you that, that uh, hate that, that burden. Right. And, and I, what I love what you're saying, which again aligns with, you know, what I think a lot of our viewers and listeners might resonate with is in mindfulness, and I'm sure you know this too, is that when we are sitting in meditation, for example, the goal is, is, you know, they say, oh, you just watch your thoughts pass by like you're in a cloud. And so in theory, you're coming from this self-energy place of the one who's the noticing, the knower, the knowing, the, the witnessing body, right? And that you're sort of seeing them come through. What I think a lot of people maybe they sort of stop at this place of, oh yeah, they're just coming through. They don't really mean anything. They're not the full fusion or identity right. of who I am. I'm separate enough from them. I can create some healthy distance mm -hmm. so I don't feel overwhelmed and consumed. But that next piece 
of then leaning in and not getting caught in the discursive thinking of the story, mm -hmm. but being curious about their origin story mm -hmm. is the part that I feel your model so supports in a way of, as they say in mindfulness language, notice if you're pulling toward and craving more of it, which also is a safety thing, pushing away, I can't have any of it, I don't want it, it's too much, or I'm going to be delusional or zone out about it, which kind of speaks to the clarity that you're talking about, or lack thereof, and then find out, ah, that's why that was there to protect me here, or to save, keep me safe mm -hmm. here, or to whatever, and now I can lean in in this way using your model to, to sort of have that distance, but have it more, meaning that it's a part of me, mm -hmm. but that it's not, it's not fused. Yeah, it's not blended is our term. You're right, bl blended with that part. Yeah, so that's very similar to the beginning of IFS process. So, uh, and I'm glad to hear that about mindfulness because my stereotype of a lot of mindfulness is, yeah, notice these ephemeral thoughts and emotions as they pass by, but don't bother with them because they're just these ephemeral thoughts and emotions. That's a misunderstanding of the teaching that's been perpetuated, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, it's pretty widespread misunderstanding. And yes. Uh, for me, it's not compassionate to watch suffering beings parade by. Just say, hi, okay, keep going. Right. <laughs> the, the compassionate thing is to do what you were describing, which is first to separate from the parts of you that have an attitude about them or want to, want to take you away from them and get into self, get into curiosity and compassion and clarity and calm, and then go to them. Not just, you know, you said get to know them and hear their story. That's one step. But to actually physically in, your, in this world that we enter when we do this, get close to them, hold them, love them, bring them home, and learn about parts they're protecting get permission to go to those parts. And then there's a whole process of healing those parts, which is a four or five step process, with, during which, after which, or during which, you can unburden, you release these burdens out of your system, and they transform into the naturally valuable little inner beings, sacred beings, that they are born to be. And then you don't, you know, it's, it's not, uh, then you don't have to wrestle with this anymore because it's out of your system. Right, which is so beautiful because it's so transformative. It's not a tamping down with all this chatter. I shouldn't be prejudiced. Yeah. It's exactly. that it's, it's you're not, released. It's not only not a tamping down, it's not also just an acceptance of, you know, this idea of radical acceptance. No, <laughs> radically accept and then transform. Yeah. So, yeah. I love that. It's the next step. And that's really what the invitation is in true, you know, mindfulness is one aspect of the teachings that's sort of been pulled away. Like that's like mm -hmm. you say, it's one step of the process, but there's a longer process. And, you know, you can't pull out one ingredient and say, that's the whole recipe. And here's the mm -hmm. whole meal. If I, you know, ate cake all day, just because that was the dessert, that would be bad, you know, um, yeah. got to have my Brussels sprouts and my protein. Um, you, you know, you can't, and I've been collaborating with some uh, local Tibetan lamas uh, around all these issues. 
you can't start taking those steps until you actually believe these aren't just the ego. This isn't just a monkey mind. This isn't, you have to really believe these are parts of you that are worthy of love and attention, just like your own kids. Right, right. Yeah, and, and that cuts back to the very basic thing. Again, you mentioned the Tibetan lamas. I'll tell you what was transformative in my personal process was I always thought I was what I was thinking, right? Mm. And Lamotte's, you know, quote, uh, my mind was like a bad neighborhood. I don't want to go there alone, mm. you know. Um, and, and this is a, a, a practice, this IFS model of accompaniment, to use focusing language, keeping company with. And... Um, and that, that we're, as you say, really loving up on them and really being, uh, you know, uh, caring and, and invested. Um, and, and, that, and that this idea of at a root level, there's nothing wrong with you and we're heavily conditioned. You are embodied goodness. And we have imprinting from our early attachment, our early caregivers, as well as our societal structures that are inherited. And from that place of your essence, your essential self, yourself, your deepest self, that you can lean in. And I feel like so many times in my own personal experience, I would try to do the right thing. But I never had that invitation, maybe because I was raised Catholic with original sin. Mm -hmm. You're born with a black mark on your soul. You have Mm -hmm. to redeem yourself and all this kind of stuff. That even when I would lean into that, it would be like, well, I need to effort to like Mm -hmm. scrub out the black mark. Not, oh, there is no black mark. There's just that conditioning that may create behavior that if we understand it can be healed and not be unskillful or or causing harm to yourself or others. Yeah, so all of that I agree with except that they miss the parts piece when they describe it that way. So the problem is that if you think of it as just your conditioning, then when you do it, you're going to fight against that or you're going to try to ignore it because this is just my conditioned mind. If instead you think, oh, this is a little kid who carries the burden of whatever you're talking about, then you're going to relate very differently than if I just think it's my condition. that make sense? Yeah, and, and, and I guess... I totally agree with you. And, and the work that I do with clients all the time is, is 90% inner child work <laughs> in some way, shape, or form to do the unburdening transformative process and using a lot of the limbic brain and the imaginal places of, can we go to him or her when she was five in that room, in that place? Can we be with them now? And as you say, sometimes you use direct access when there's not enough self-energy within the client to be able to be the accompaniment that wasn't there from the parent or the caregiver or the whatever and then start that process Mm -hmm. um so i when i say conditioning i guess what i mean is that the conditioning creates the parts that then have the adaptive yeah um, the the conditioning in my language is the burden that came into you yes and the only reason i react to the word is because it's so misused in spirituality conditioning yeah, I, I totally get that. And, and I don't, I, we're, we're talking about the same thing in the deepest yeah. way. And I, and I get what you mean by that. So maybe we can use an example. Like um, you said, individualism, materialism, mm-hmm. racism, and patriarchy. And I think that the racism and the patriarchy, people can kind of notice. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the individualism and materialism, I think, might be a little bit more challenging for folks to wrap their head around how that shows up. Could you unpack those a little? Yeah, I think partly why they're, they're harder to unpack is because we're so imbued with them that we hardly notice that they're burdens. So I think one way about that is uh, what I think about in terms of individualism is the sense that you can't make it if you're a failure. You should be able to use willpower to be able to make it in this country. And that, that permeates every level of our capitalist country. That, that's sort of the ground that capitalism was built on. And that makes everybody constantly feel like they're not good enough. If only I had more willpower, I'd be able to control this, this addiction I have, or I'd be able to, and if I can't do that, then there's something wrong with me. And so uh, my, that creates a part that's constantly pushing us and like an inner critic who's constantly writing us about do it harder, try harder. And then the economic system with all this creative, this individualistic system creates this constant sense, especially in the United States, of fear that we're not gonna survive. Just walk down the street and see all the homeless people. You're just one step away from them. So you're constantly striving and never having enough. I, I saw a study where they told people who had $26 million. I'm sorry, you cut out a little bit there. I saw a study where they told people who had $26 million or more about whether they thought that was enough. And people said, no, that's not, not enough. I got to get 26 million was not enough. Not enough, yeah. Mm. I'm just saying at every level of our culture, we have this not enough feeling because there's no safety net. You know, there's, there's no uh, sense that if the rug was pulled out from under me, I'd be okay. Because you won't. You won't be okay. And so there's, that drives some striving, you know, the, the parts that the Buddhists call what? Uh, striving and... Yeah, craving craving parts that would be materialism too that there's this constant sense of emptiness and a need for to fill that, that bucket with a hole in it that comes from both from the insecurity but also from the sense from the willpower idea that you're not good enough and, and if you add to that the burdens of racism and patriarchy then you, then your exiles carry a lot of feelings of, of not enough, being worthless, and all of that then drives these parts to prove them wrong uh, by achieving or getting, show, having all these trophies, trophy houses, uh, to prove that no, indeed you are valuable, and, and so it's very, very hard for us in this culture to. Uh, be happy with what we have and to you know that's one of the big lessons I think I hope coming out of this crisis because 
people are, many people are forced to step out of those striving, craving parts and listen to other parts of them. And uh, it could have been exiled by those and actually see that maybe I don't need as much as I thought. Maybe, maybe I don't need as much as I thought. Is that right? Yeah, maybe I don't need as much as I thought. Maybe I don't, maybe I enjoy having some leisure. Maybe I enjoy uh, doing other things than worrying about the next customer I have to, to take care of. And, but to do that, there's a lot of unburdening needs to happen. Because while we carry these burdens and we carry all this nervousness and all this fear and all this uh, sense of hurt, it's very, very hard for these protectors to relax. So it's a combination of, of uh, new experience, which is what we're having now with the virus, but then also doing a lot of healing. So with many, many clients now, we, we're getting to parts that we couldn't before because their usual firefighter activities aren't available. And now their exiles are in their face. And so that's the actual benefit of this time, if people use it that way. But instead, many people are just suffering because, I mean, there's a lot of real suffering happening around people getting sick and dying, but also losing their jobs and worrying for good reason about right. uh, where the money's going to come from. And in contrast to many other countries, we're not helping people much. You know, give them little $1,200 checks once in a while. But there are lots of other countries where they, they keep their salary. And as, as Maslow pointed out many, many years ago, if your basic survival needs aren't taken care of, it's very hard to, to be creative. It's very hard to lose IQ points simply because you're not anywhere near yourself. Right. So, the same. I'm just, yeah, but, I'm, I'm ranting on and on. I know. No, no, it's good. It's good. Um, no, I, it's it's all appropriate. It's all appropriate. So I that whole idea of the individualism and it being like even twenty six million dollars isn't enough, and you know, mm -hmm. and that's true, right? Like that whole root of like never enough, mm -hmm. and also like that's sort of the way I feel like the self improvement stuff doesn't really work. The affirmation piece of like, well, it's never going to be enough if we're just you know, putting lipstick on a pig or just like, you know, changing the shingles where, you know, like where we really have to kind of, it's a process of transformation. Mm -hmm. And I know that a lot of the neuroscience research talks a lot about how limbically in our subcortical structures and stuff, there is a change that happens when you actually undergo a shift or a transformation that doesn't happen when you're just engaging what we might call left brain thinking that's more cognitive, like people are using with cognitive behavioral therapy. Can you talk about how IFS like has like, I keep telling people like, listen, when you feel the shift and it's like unburdened, then it's not going to be so difficult anymore. So yeah. leaning, leaning in is not easy, yeah. but we can do that together. Right. You won't have this thing. That's my sales pitch. I'm a, what I call a hope merchant. Right. And, and I'm working with these protective parts that don't want to go anywhere near that limbic place. They don't want to which is where the exiles operate. You know, these exiles uh, are in the, they do 
affect the limbic system. And if you don't get to them, it's not going to change. And so you have to be very convincing to these protectors that we're not going there to just grovel at it or be overwhelmed. We're going there to actually unload all this stuff that you're so afraid of. We're going to ship out of the system the fear and the terror and the, the sense of worthlessness and the, the feeling like I don't belong in the world or the feeling of betrayal, all those things that these young and vulnerable parts of us carry. Uh, that can all be set out of your system, but you've got to give us permission. And we don't do it without permission. You've got to give us permission to open that door. So How do you, you get the to, leverage to use to get the permission? Just the way I was saying, I, I'm, I'm doing sales. I'm, I'm saying, I get that this is a terrifying prospect of actually opening that door. And you've kept it closed for 30 years for good reason. Because every time you open it in the past, you'd be overwhelmed and you couldn't get out of bed and, you know, but this is going to be different. I promise. And I'll be there the whole time. And we can do it without the overwhelm. We can do it without, because it's just a little kid that's stuck back in this terrible place that we can get that kid out of there and we can unload everything that kid carries. And I promise we can do it. And you don't have to do it. You don't have to give us permission but I guarantee we can if you do. It's a very seductive pitch. So most protective parts go for it, especially if I'm in self when I say it. If I'm coming from those eight C's, protectors sense the, the confidence is one of the C's. They sense, well, this guy sounds like he knows what he's doing. Yeah. He's just giving it a try. Well, there is confidence because you, you, you've been doing it for so long, you know, this, this whole, and, and you're, I mean, it works. Um, I mean, you know, I, I always say, you know, like if I'm doing work with someone, it's like, I'm just a co-facilitator guide here, like the Sherpa thing, but everything you need is already in there. We're just pointing to it. And as you say, making sure it's cooperative enough so that we can not get extra <clears throat> pushback, you know, um, and that it's all okay. And we'll end up on the other side and it may be unfamiliar, but that doesn't mean that it's bad. It may be That's uncertain right. what the good feeling will be because uh, we haven't felt it yet or not in a while, but it's going to be good. Trust me. <laughs> and I'll be with you the whole time. Yes. Yes. Well, that's the relational field, right? Mm -hmm. You as the therapist or you as mm -hmm. the coach, if you're using an IFS coaching model and not as an mm -hmm. IFS therapeutic model, really leaning into, if you don't feel like you have enough self-energy there for you already, I'm here with you in here this, you. in my functional space of being right. loving and relational. Exactly. Yeah. So about the shame, I want to share with you something I've been thinking a lot about, and I just want to try it on for size and see. Sure, sure. I've thought about this um, in terms of, say, for example, and this could be true of a lot of populations, but advantaged populations here in the United States, which might be lighter white skin privilege advantage, it might be social class advantage, it might be educational advantage, but folks that maybe, for example, you would say, aren't currently under the same kind of marginalization that are revealed around the fractures that you see, for example, with COVID, right? Mm -hmm. um, typically not that. that. It's sort of about shame as moral injury. Um, and, and, you know, sort of the definition I see is shame, moral injury refers to an injury 
to an individual's moral conscience and values resulting from an act of perceived moral transgression, which produces profound emotional guilt and shame, and in some cases always a sense, also a sense of betrayal, anger, and profound moral disorientation. And then my theory out of that is that the use of shame, and this would be your parts work in terms of how this manifests for the person, the little kid inside, that the shame potentially often with lighter white skin privileged or advantaged folks just say for the purposes of this is used to avoid grief, remorse, attunement, accountability, compassionate action and justice, and to, to protect against heartbrokenness. Right, like the Leonard Cohen piece, you know, the the crack is where the light gets in, but that there's no real sense that the light would ever get in, you know, um, that the shame is 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 that I'm sort of identified with the shame because it's serving a purpose. It's serving the purpose to protect me. Yeah, I don't know if you feel, but that moral injury felt like to me, wow, if I have some advantage because I'm inheriting this um, history of colonization or imperialism or something like that. Mm-hmm that in a way there's something cooked into that that is almost like a moral injury to to me as a culture as a race as a people also yeah, yeah. i don't know does that how does yeah. that land for yeah. you it, it does land so one of the qualities of self is self sees clarity sees injustice and imbalance and self acts to counter that uh, at all levels and there are parts that, because of the privilege you mentioned, um, are afraid to act. And even though the self sees that, they can't let you be self-led. And so they'll use a variety of tactics to keep yourself uh, obscured. And one of them is to be overly shamed and uh, and... You know, there's such a thing as healthy shame, but there's the shame that it's a protector. It's trying to, to keep you from acting and to, to talk a good game. And But there are lots of other protectors that make you blind and try to not see the imbalance or use what we were talking about earlier, the uh, individualism. And within individualism is, is this idea of meritocracy. So the, the cream rises, you know, that the people who, yes, there's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of imbalance, there's a lot of disparity in our country, but it's really because those people aren't motivated. They, mm. they're, not, they're not trying hard enough. And us successful people, uh, you know, are, are responsible for ourselves. We, we made it. And, and this is the land of opportunity. So Right, that reminds me of the 80s. I grew up in with Reagan, like the whole welfare queens and things. Exactly, but, yeah. yeah. That's classic. And, and that's still, the immigrants now are the ones who are exploiting our country. And, and uh, so that's a classic protector move. And it's, you know, it's all parallel within trauma survivors too. Uh, you see all those parts. You, ha- you have a part that, that uh, is very, very contemptuous of vulnerability, for example, and blames your vulnerability for getting you hurt. And in the, the thing you saw with Duran, you know, she was having to work with that part because 
many, many uh, uh, press groups have that too. They have the sense that if I'm ever vulnerable, I'm going to get attacked. Right. And, and so they, they never let themselves go to those places. So, yeah, these are all different ways. But going back to, to uh, people with privilege, we, in order to stay and not act, we have to have all these protectors who are justifying our, our privilege and keeping ourselves at bay. And so it's very hard to be fully self-led in this culture and, uh, and uh, be uh, privileged. Yeah, yeah. So, I, sorry. And, and, and that's some of my message is that while material, it, materially it feels good and your life is easy in a lot of ways and better, it takes a huge toll on your psyche to, yes. to live in a culture like this and to be in this position in the culture. And it takes a huge toll on the people at the other end as well. It's a different kind of toll. Uh, but you, you have to steal your heart. You have to, uh, yeah. Yeah, you have to be dominated by the parts that got you there. So, What you just said is sort of the crux of what I've been trying to work on. And I so appreciate that because I really think that it's like, this is good for all of us. You're not doing something for someone else or for some other oppressed group that, you know, our liberation is interbound. We yeah. are... It, you know, not from the like early COVID language around like we're all in the same boat. Well, actually, we may be in boats, but other people are getting thrown off the boat. They don't have any oars. There's no supplies. Right. You know? Some, some like, of us are in, uh, you know, in yachts and some of us are in <laughs> right. Boats. right. Yeah. No, that I'll never forget that now deleted David Insta David Geffen post where he was having his, his yacht there and he's like, hope everyone's staying safe. Right. And I'm like, Thanks, billionaire music mogul, for resonating with no one right now. <laughs> you know, um, I actually wrote a poem about it. But um, this idea of, broadly speaking, leaning into the personal shame triggering burdened parts as a portal to collective embodied liberation, that to me is the both and that we need to be able to have. Like my personal process, I'll speak from my experience, I needed to start with, there's nothing wrong with me. Oh, I have learned behavior. I have these parts that have inherited burdens from small micro-nuclear family stuff, basic cultural stuff and larger societal and ancestral and whatever stuff. And that from the place of, there is an essential self. There is my deepest self, my self energy there. Knowing there's nothing wrong with that. How could there be? It's a collective consciousness. It's the wisdom of, of all of how we came into being and how we will find our way through all of this. That from that place, I can establish relationship with the parts. And then internally about, oh, I'm too fat. Oh, I don't fit into this. I mean, I used to be a TV news anchor. You have no idea what it was I like. Can imagine, yeah. You know what I mean? Like to have to be whatever. I mean, the self-talk and and that part of it was like, well, you need to fit in the box to survive and to do your job, but I'm never going to look like that blonde lady on Fox News. 
it's not who I am. It's not how I was created to be in the world. And my push away of, or trying to make myself be that is no different from the craving you talk about with the $26 million not being enough for someone. Totally the same. It's just how it manifested in me locally. That's right. That's right. But once I started to unpack that work, then I started to look at the structural stuff that you're talking about. Even though I'm multi-ethnic, I grew up pretty much with lighter white skin privilege in a pretty ignorant place. Like I really hadn't done the bigger work around those bigger issues because I was too caught in my own pain. So I love that this IFS, that the IFS model and that this aspect of it with these cultural burdens, the patriarchy, the, you know, materialism, individualism, and racism, that you're inviting people to do the both and there. That's right. Yeah. And, I, you know, I, I do a lot of work now with social activists, for example, and they're often coming from parts themselves. And when that's the case, they're just going to replicate. Uh, so how do you act without relying on these parts that are so motivated by the pain they carry or the, the over or the sense of injustice from a righteous place and how can you act from self as an activist while keeping those parts nearby but in an unburdened state so they can help you see the injustice and keep you on the path but also when you relate your message or, or do your act, your social action, do it from this place. Mm. And if you can, it'll be much, much more effective. So. Yeah. That place of love and connection to self yeah. way that like the, knowing that we're being held by our self energy. Yeah. Oh. And also that when you can be in self, it's like you have x-ray vision. You see past the protectors of your enemy, and you see the exiles that are driving those protectors. And so you can do it knowing that they're, you know, they're suffering, and you're still going to stop them. Like when I look at Trump, I see all these protectors that we've been talking about. But you also see this little hurt little boy in there, so desperate for attention and accolades and power and that's not going to stop me from trying to get rid of him i don't mean i know out of office but uh but it does make the action come from a different place and the the big deal for me is this is a, a bit of a metaphysical kind of position but it's my belief that self isn't just in us, that it's, that there's a, a field of self, that planet has a self, and, and that there's a field of self in the planet or around the planet. And that every time we unburden personally, or we unburden groups, or we unburden, we're releasing more of that field onto this plane, onto this planet. And that if, once we get to a critical mass of self, then things can change very fast because that's what happens in individuals. Mm. Working with a client, it seems like a total hopeless mess inside. But I access the critical mass of self and everything starts to change very quickly. 
Right. So that's what keeps me going is even our little individual actions are adding to that larger field that can actually make things change in this planet. Uh, and that there are also planetary burdens. And it's funny, you see, it's like a Trump shows up here, but he's also showing up in six different countries. Yeah, Hungary, yeah, whatever. Yeah, Hungary, exactly. And it's like they've got the same playbook. It's, it's like the same part has taken over in a different person. Right. And so there are those planes, too, or there are clouds that kind of uh, obscure the self of our planet. And so as we unburden personally and, and our clients, we're reducing the clouds that are obscuring the self of the planet. I don't know if that makes any sense. No, it makes total sense to me. Basically, what I hear you saying is whether or not you're Bolsonaro and I'm out, you know, in Brazil, whether you're the, you know, guy in the Philippines, whether you're Trump, whether you're whatever it is, is that they're wounded children, basically, inside, right? That the parts are wounded and that they're trying to do this striving, craving to be important, to get noticed, to feel affirmed, to whatever it is, to get loved, to be attached, to feel safe, whatever. And that um, that there's a the place there where that you're connecting with that, so that when you are in self, when you have healed your own parts, when you have gotten to do that transformative work that you say can really shift quickly, the way in which you work to effort collective social action around trying to bring more into balance these other you know sort of either political or or social justice or whatever the language is that you want to use comes from a deeper place. Exactly of connection and compassion, but then that, but then also the action because you're doing the work inside. You can show up and do the action without so much of the overwhelm. You're not. Yeah. Yeah. And your, your parts that, that worry that you're going to look bad or worry that you're going to get rejected by somebody. If you, if you try, because now they trust you and you have a good relationship with them. They're not going to interfere with you doing that action. Yeah. And, and the parts that used to blind you to the injustice or keep your heart covered so you didn't feel it, now trust is safe to let you feel. And once, once self comes, you act and it's fairly effortless. It's not like you've got to gear yourself up to do it. You do it because now you're part of that field. It's a healing field. I love that. And, and, and we're going to pretty much start to wind down now, but this healing field, I think is, um, you know, I've been talking to a lot of indigenous leaders and a lot of folks who, um, you know, are psychoanalysts and psychologists and stuff too, that are coming from the Chicano tradition or the, you know, Latino traditions. And they're talking so much about, you know, well, it's the land. Well, it's the way. Well, it's the, you know, and ceremony. And that that's what I hear you saying in, in your language. Um, that we're not that we're necessarily interdependent with all things that all things are alive or however you want to think about it but that there's not the othering the separation and that when we do our inner work we become some of the seeds that are planted for new growth in that energy field that is for the planet or beyond yeah and i i totally agree with all of that too that when you really access self you restore your connection to the earth has been cut off uh, by the view of the earth, and some of it comes from science, as inert and as something that's full of resources for us to exploit. Back to its mother earth, its Gaia, it's, you know, the one way to think about the crisis we're in now is that 
since the Industrial Revolution, which is about 200 years ago. Before that, there was way, way, way fewer people and we didn't have the power to hurt the planet the way we do now. And the last two centuries, we've got exploded in population, but also in technology such that we now are uh, really severely threatening the health of the planet. And just like with, uh, with some of these type A clients we have that are driven constantly, but they always will crash because that's just, those parts will take you, because those parts don't care about your body. They don't care about your relationships. Right. So then you're going to have some kind of crash, at which point that's an opportunity to actually totally change. This is that for, for the planet. And because we've deforested so much and gone so much into wilderness areas, it's released these viruses that now are kind of corrective to scale us back and make us re-examine all this stuff that we've been doing. And so it's the Earth's way of trying to heal itself. There's one way to look at it, even though that sounds cold-blooded because it's so much suffering. But I, I actually believe that. This is a big wake-up call. And uh, it'd be great if we actually took advantage of it. On that note, Dr. Richard Schwartz, uh, Schwartz, Dick Schwartz, the creator of the Internal Family Systems Model. I am so excited we had this conversation. I really, I can't, I can't, um, I can't express enough how much I appreciate. I'm getting emotional even thinking about it. To be honest, that I feel like you get it. Thank you, thank you, Francesca. I try. You know, it's taking a lot of work, personal work. I know it's a process. On me, I've had to unburden lots of legacy burdens to, to get it. Right. I'm working at it. And uh, and I also want to say that uh, Ram Das was an uh, early big influence on me too. So it's an honor to be part of his network. Yes, and his spirit lives on through conversations like this. And, um, you know, even though his, his physical body left the planet, uh, not too long ago. And, um, you know, again, just the invitation coming inside in order to then be able to just show up in this embodied way. Um, I just think it's a beautiful uh, model that you have a beautiful framework. And, uh, I really, um, again, appreciate all of what you've done. So, um, and continue to do. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Any last thoughts, Dick, that you want to share with anyone before we go? Just, uh, yeah, it's just really fun to talk to you always. So uh, you, you pull a lot of stuff out of me that I don't really talk about. Well, I guess that's, if it's okay, then a good thing. <laughs> it's good. It's really good. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dick. Thanks all to the listeners. Uh, Dick Schwartz, the, the website uh, is, uh, is it IFS Institute? IFSinstitute.com ifsinstitute.com. You can learn about training and uh, all of Dick's work and books and things like that. All right. Take good care and stay safe and be well. Yeah.